Well, good morning, Australia. Welcome to the EFTM Formula One Grand Prix podcast. Thanks to the good people at KO. We are here for the Mexican Grand Prix. Harry Tucker, Connor McNally uh, with me. Boys, um, not a bad morning. Um, lots to talk about. Lots of little and big things. Uh, let's kick it off with the obvious, though. Uh, we, we do it thanks to KO. And it's the best way to catch up on the race, either in full or in part. Harry Tucker, KO Mini, or watch the whole thing, my man. We're going mini. I mean, I feel like I say this every week, but it's kind of the state of the sport, but mini for me. Yeah. And Connor? Yeah, mini for me as well. Yeah, I'm told the uh, KO Mini will be uh, available at 11 a.m. this morning, so you'll be uh, ready to rock for lunchtime uh, entertainment. Just don't tell your boss you're watching um, watching KO. Maybe they'll let you uh, have a longer lunch break. You never know. Uh, lots of stuff coming up on KO over the weeks and months ahead. Another two weekends of the Sydney uh, Super Nights or whatever the heck they're calling it. The V8 Supercars just going crazy uh, in Sydney for four weekends in a row, and there's two more weekends of that leading into Bathurst in the last weekend of November, first, uh, first Sunday in December. So massive motorsport month on KO. And if you haven't checked it out, just sign up for KO. You can check out the KO minis and you can watch uh, lots of practice sessions uh, live uh, despite having to having no paid account. And then you'll want to sign up like we do and uh, enjoy all the races, all the action. I watched the with race view tonight. So I had the pit camera view. I had the driver tracker. It was a nice split screen affair. Um, a great race this morning, uh, all in all, a great start, a great end, kind of the, the usual from F1 this year. Max Verstappen took the win ahead of Lewis Hamilton, narrowly from Sergio Perez. Pierre Gasly in fourth, we'll have to talk about a lot a little bit later. And then the two Ferraris in fifth and sixth. Boys, I mean, this was there was a lot going on here, and it was action-packed opening kind of first corner there, Harry, as predicted, as is always the case with these kind of long opening straights uh, off the start line, Harry. Yeah, so we saw at the start there, I think, uh, was it Valtteri got a really slow start or Max got a really fast start. Either way, it messed up the front and they were going three um, through the front and then Valtteri sort of had to come off a little bit and he got tagged by Dan, which basically ruined both of their races and really ruined both the teams in general in terms of points and drivers championship. Mm. And then I didn't quite see it and there wasn't really much replays unless I wasn't paying attention, but something you know, happened with Yuki, which resulted in the safety car, which I'm sure one of you guys can fill in. You know what, Connor? I think that um, we, we often do bag the uh, the TV uh, directorship and you work in TV, so you, you mm. would hate it as much as any any average viewer. But it wasn't a great um, first lap, given we had four laps of safety car because uh, Yuki Sonoda was stranded. They had to recover the car and clean up the track. We We didn't really see what happened, did we? We did eventually, but we actually saw an onboard courtesy of Esteban Ocon. So Ocon basically yeah, one, one shot, come one on, one shot. I know we didn't get a freaking blink. I didn't get to see it. <laughs> exactly, it was just that one shot. And basically, Sonoda and Mick Schumacher rode the wheels of Ocon in that chicane section, and they went. They got a lot of air. They seriously yeah. got a lot of air. And that's why we saw both of them retire. In fact, they were the only retirements of the race as well. So, look. Yuki, unfortunately, he got thrown under the bus by virtue of what happened in qualifying. And, uh, yeah, he's not in the good books with Red Bull at the moment. It was a, a pretty disastrous weekend for the Japanese driver. Yeah, but that opening um, that opening stint, that opening 800 mm. metres or so, was, was awesome because it was fascinating. And this was talked about a bit in the commentary. But off the line, you know, you've always got this problem of being in in the uh, in the first two positions here because you're offering a slipstream to everyone behind you. But here's Max in third on the on the good side of the track behind Valtteri and Valtteri doesn't block 
the clear line on the outside. The the yeah. best place to be coming mm. into turn one. Knows anyone that, that's done any form of racing or just followed the driving line on F1 2021, the game, knows that you've got to be on the outside of the corner. And here's Max able to literally drive around the outside of two Mercedes, putting himself in what is the best position regardless of their braking performance. And Harry, that that positioning of Max essentially won him the race. Yeah, because he was able to get right around at the start there and then just sort of, that was it. That was him done and pretty much led for the whole race except for when he pitted and and Checo got a brief little stint there in front of his home crowd. And I think they said it was the first time a Mexican driver has ever led the Mexican Grand Prix. So it was great for yeah, him. Right. But yeah, Max from that first corner, from that first incident, set himself right up there, did the opposite of Valtteri. Not sure why Sportsbet haven't paid out on leading after the first lap yet, but um, I'll... <laughs> I'll wait for that to pay out. Thank you very much. The only one that came through from the whole race, unfortunately, because I obviously backed the, the roughies now and then. Although that was strange to me, uh, Connor. He Max was, was a roughie. Six bucks. Yeah, Max was paying six bucks to lead after the first lap. That makes no sense, Connor. It makes no sense. You'd probably put him at like, what, two or three dollars to lead the opening lap. Yeah. But, but that, look, tremendously good start by, by Max. He really had the, um, the speed over the Mercedes. And, I've got to admit, Valtteri misread the start badly. And actually, I'll tell you who also got a very good start as well, and it was Dan. Dan had a brilliant start. It was just unfortunate. It was, that he had, it was his own undoing, exactly. And basically the undoing for McLaren because not only did Lando start from the rear of grid because of grid, uh, engine penalties, but also with Dan going back to the rear of field. I mean, it was a disastrous race for McLaren. We'll talk about the teams later. But I, I was really keen for Dan to have a good race. I know. And look, he, he, he fumbled an opportunity to have a great finish there because if you look at the classifications of the top six they pretty much finished in order of of how they went around the first corner because it's a pretty processional kind of track but the thing about dan's first corner and again this is looking at it completely biased as an aussie but you know bottas did turn into the corner as if it was a normal race it's like he took the it took took the corner as if it was lap 55 Mm. um not thinking that there might be someone there I, i don't know whether that kind of thing is actually, you know, that's why it's equally to blame. I don't think Dan was solely to blame for that. Certainly was classified as a racing incident. But I think Bottas, Harry, was, as you said, he kind of was a bit cautionary on the brakes. And I don't think he had great spatial awareness. Perhaps, in fact, he was panicking because mm. he was meant to be protecting Lewis's world championship. Yeah, it was just, it was weird. Like, it was, it was like, you no, know, when you're sort of on the freeway and there's a car that's like going thinks they're driving very safe, but it's like a cautiously, dangerously uh, slower speed. And he kind of found himself in like the Formula One equivalent of that in the first corner. And yeah, blew up from there. And so both Bottas and Ricardo had to uh, pit. Um, that obviously Bottas did because he, he spun. You may as well, you're back at track. You may as well pit for, for tyres. Also, a quick check of the car, whereas Dan had no front wing, um, had, to, had to pit. They both put the hard tyres on. There was thoughts early on they were going to go the whole race, which, spoiler alert, they didn't. But it was fascinating to watch them at the back of the field because it literally wasn't until some pit stops started to free up traffic that they started to actually edge their way up into the, into the totem pole, didn't it, Connor? It did. Uh, there was at one point after Daniel pitted, he was right behind uh, Nicholas Latifi and Lance Stroll. In fact, after he came out of the pits and the race got uh, underway again, he could not get past Lance Stroll. Now, that, oh. that's a really worrying sign. If you can't get past a tail ender in Lance Stroll, you're in a lot of trouble for the rest of the race. So you had to basically watch the team's pit 
for him to get back up close to the top 10. He, he got as high as 11th at one point, but he was nowhere near getting into the top 10 for the remainder of the race, which is an absolute shame because he was looking fairly good at one point to make it into the points. I think, Harry, though, my my concern about kind of racetracks like this is that that is an example of how this track might look spectacular, and we'll get to your thoughts on that shortly. Mm-hmm. But it, it it actually shows that it's it's actually not a great racetrack because if Daniel and and Bottas, Bottas of all cars, the fastest you know car on the track, Sands Red Bull maybe, but certainly in that vicinity, McLaren, uh, Williams, um, Aston Martin, unable to pass. Bottas was unable to pass Daniel Ricciardo pretty much the entire race. That's not a good sign for both the sport, the cars where they're at and this racetrack, surely. Yeah, and he was, you know, for Bottas as well, like you're saying, he was really, you know, close for a while there. And then, you know, he eventually eventually got past. But it's kind of, yeah, we're saying, we'll get into it later with the cool stadium complex of it all. Um, But I think you mentioned, Connor, in the chat that it's kind of like a, a Monza, but... It doesn't, the the ends of the straights and stuff don't exactly invite enough overtaking. But we heard no. Andreas um, Seidel say that, you know, he thought it was the closest track of one of the closest tracks of the year. And you only need to be one second faster to to be able to get past. But that, that like, that didn't seem right. Like, it wasn't, it didn't feel like one of those races where cars were, you know, passing each other every yeah. two or three laps or anything like that. So, yeah, it's just... It's a bit strange, and again, we say it every every race, but but hopefully, it's something that gets fixed next year. Yeah, the the twenty twenty two hope and pray situation is getting. We're going to be uh, so disappointed. You realize that, right? Like it's yes. We, <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone, you're, you're, mark you're, that one for the books in the Mexican yes. podcast. Harry made it clear that we are going to be disappointed with twenty twenty two. One of the other things I want to say about twenty twenty two is it's. I mean, it's great that they put a show car out, right, that, that kind of creates the hype. But, you know, that's not going to be what the cars look like, you know, because the whole point of this sport is that they can design cars however the hell they want. And they can be as restrictive as they want with the rules. But, Connor, do you really think the Formula One cars next year are going to look in that same vein? Or is it just going to be, you know, the front 30 centimetres and the rear 30 centimetres and a bit of side pod that we'll recognise? I'm just curious to wonder what they're actually going to look like. I don't think they're going to look anything like the show car that has been displayed since it was unveiled at Silverstone. No way in hell. But it's going to be very interesting to see how every team on the grid is going to interpret the way the car is supposed to look like going into next year. It's going to be really, really curious to see what teams come out with what next year. But I, I look, we're pinning on we're pinning on hopes and prayers here for you know a great 2022 with the new regulations. But if we, we end up disappointed, Harry, you're to blame for this. Harry's to blame. <laughs> Me. Well, you said it. It'll be disappointing. So. Well, it's just like one of those things where you just build it up so much in your head, yeah. and you've got such high hope for it that there's just no matter what they do, it, it won't live up to it because you've, you've built this image in your head. Oh, cool. now, that's, that's how I feel about it. Back, back to the race. Let's be clear. Um, we've talked about the first five laps, essentially, uh, which was you know a safety car and the opening lap and a, and a decent restart. Um, we talked about Bottas and, and Ricardo pretty much going neck and neck for the entire race, apart from when they stopped and had to because they didn't make it through the whole race. But you know what? Essentially, it was lap 30 until we got Perez was within one and a half seconds of Hamilton. So we're like, okay, this is good. Hamilton stops, comes out behind Leclerc, but Red Bull keep Perez out for, you know, an extended duration. It seemed a strange, strange decision to me, Harry. Do you think 
it, it paid off for them in the end, or do you think they made a technical strategy error there? We for Red Bull. Yeah, Red Bull by not pitting Perez. Like you know, mm. Lewis mm. Lewis came out. If you look at Lewis's say uh, safety undercut on Perez, but safety because he was in front of him. Per, uh, Lewis came out behind Leclerc. There was an opportunity yeah. there for for Red Bull mm. to go right. Let's bring him in. Let's go. It, it looked I, like they were going to take an alternate strategy, but they didn't. They they just pushed yeah. him out longer. I mean, you, you could say that, but I think their their main mistake, and I think McLaren did a, a similar thing, but with much lower stakes, was basically keep the bat like charge the battery too long towards the end, and sort of just left it a lap or two too late to to make that that final dig. Like you saw, um, I think I was saying to you that we saw Dan as well was for the last, you know, 10 laps seemed to just, he got really close and then backed off. And then it was like, he was charging the battery for that last second or that last lap or two to try and overtake Giovinazzi. And then I think a similar thing with Perez, he spent too long trying to charge the batteries and they just didn't have it in that last lap. If it was a lap earlier or something like that, they might've found themselves um, to overtake that position. So I think there was definitely some strategic errors, but I don't, I don't know if it was explicitly, and that pit stop timing that you're talking about. So then the other strategic error potentially you could you could address, Connor, is tire choice. Okay. You you mm. leave Perez out for an extended period. We're talking I don't know, they were thirty odd laps from the end before Perez pitted and that yeah. was well within the um predicted window of, of operation for the soft tires. You know, I had it in my head they were they were holding Perez out because they were gonna go to softs and therefore he would be able to at the very least catch Lewis quicker. But they didn't. They went for the hards. Um, you would call it the safe option. Uh, do you think that was a mistake, Connor? Possibly. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, maybe they could go onto the softs and, and uh, pull off the miracle. But it was interesting to listen to what Martin was saying on the gridwalk is that they, the number of support races that were happening yeah. over the weekend, there were very few support races and most of them were rolling starts. So on the grid, there was hardly any tyre wear, like you know, tyre tracks for the teams, particularly to get off for the start. But we were hearing over the entire duration of the race, Checo was saying tyres are really good, tyres are getting better. So he seemed really confident on those sets of mediums and then hards that he had the pace. And, and look, Mercedes were really struggling. As soon as, uh, as, soon as uh, Verstappen got into the lead, Hamilton basically had to try and fend off uh, Lewis uh, Sergio, and Sergio just seemed to have much better pace overall, depending on what tire it was, over Hamilton. And yeah, the Mercedes just was absolutely not as competitive as we thought it was going to be in this you, race. You know, we got to ten laps to go. Perez got to within DRS, which is ten laps earlier than than even Hamilton's own team were predicting that he would be caught. So Perez clearly had pace. Um, he got to within DRS. Um, maybe half a second even using the DRS. But the problem at this point was timing. They had um, so much lap traffic in front of them that it really wasn't something Checo could um, take advantage of. He needed to then essentially back off again, charge again. And that's the strategic problem with this sport at the moment, Harry, is that you do need these moments. You can't just be on the attack or the defense. Mm. You have to be doing all this, this management of the car at the same time. And I think, you know, even though Checo got within that, that DRS zone again, it just wasn't enough to to get past Harry. Yeah, like, and there's there's a few reasons for that as well. Um, you know, one being you know the one we talk about all the time, which is very hard to overtake in general because of error. Yeah. The other obvious one is that just the disparity between teams means that you've got Nikita Mazepin three laps 
behind behind the lead, which is just ridiculous. Mm. Um, so you've got that compounding together, and then obviously as well, what puts together with that is everyone's conserving tires because we we artificially make these tires degrade for some form of entertainment. But you know, it it, it feels like in the, these situations are proving more and more that if we didn't rely on tire strategy for entertainment, then you you would have seen a situation where Checo is probably not having to get past as many lapped cars and it's a genuine race with Lewis at the end. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a compounding of, of a few different things, I think. The, the amazing thing we saw at the end of the race, though, Connor, also was Bottas. Uh, pits for softs, attempts the fastest lap, doesn't get it. Pits again, and this is the best part about this, is pits again and Ted's thinking, what's going on? This stop is slow. And they were like, dude, <laughs> just sit. Just wait. We want you to wait in your pit box until the track is clear. So they literally let people pass. I think it was actually Lewis and and Checo that, that went past. And they just wanted a buffer zone so he wasn't in any dirty air. He just sat there like he had a five-second penalty. And then off oh. he went. And he did achieve the fastest lap, much to the chagrin of Christian Horner, who unfortunately told Max Verstappen as he crossed the line that he had the fastest lap, only to have to let him know, Connor, that he did not have the fastest lap Bottas had. Yeah, achieved. but the thing is, even though Valtteri got the fastest lap, he will not get that point because he finished outside the... Yes, but he deprives the, Red Bull of that point. And he that's does, what and, and, that, and that, was a, that was a great strategic play by Mercedes. They had to do it. And, you know, to hold him like he had a penalty when he really didn't. I mean, it was just a basically calling Red Bull's bluff and getting that point that they... Yeah, well, taking that point away. So it, it makes for a very interesting constructors' championship just as much as it makes it for a drivers' championship as well. And look, I think that's what they have to do with Valtteri now. You know, play him as the backstop to Hamilton right now in that hope that they can still win both championships with four races to go. Exactly. And with four races to go, um, you've got plenty of opportunity to jump on to KO, KOSports.com.au. Sign up, enjoy um, the early morning starts for a few more races. Um, uh, but basically, just enjoy every single bit of Formula One you can. Catch up on all the previous races through the KO Minis. Watch practice, watch qualifying, watch every session. Although I will say, boys, I personally have not been watching every session like I normally would because of the early hours. We, it's a good time for the race and quali. It's not a but great time else. to be watching no. practice, is it? <laughs> um, the, the, the people in the UK seem to be upset that the the races are on late at night. It's like, welcome to Australia, <laughs> folks. Ah, uh, um, yes, they are whinging like yeah, they. Uh, it's the most like like the stereotype whinging. <laughs> yeah. It's like the worst. Pro- it's like first world problems. First yes. world problems for them. So check out KO, and as we said, a bunch of motorsport coming up this month on uh, on KO, and the um, Tim Zoo fight also on the fifteenth of. November, which is at uh, Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, but you'll find all that on K. Boys, just on a team front, let's just look at the teams before we go to the individual drivers and then a little bit of unpacking overall. Um, I think, Connor, I'll start with you because I know the thing you most want to talk about here is Ferrari. I Mm. mean, forgetting the championship lead, which we'll go to the points in a bit, but this was a great race for Ferrari. Oh, totally. And they basically got the points that they required to get into third in the Constructors' Championship because McLaren basically tripped themselves up by virtue yeah. of Dan hitting into Bottas. So with with McLaren only scoring one championship point through Norris, they've basically got a free kick as a result, and they yeah. basically stayed out of trouble. It's a great – this is the thing, though. It's a really great weekend performance to go radio. We're, we've got the pace to be, you know, uh, up in the pack. So we're in the top, top 10, certainly. Um, they qualified well. Um, they were able to, you know, avoid any drama. But Harry, they were also able to play very strong team game. 
Carlos yep. was let by by Charles to chase down Gasly. He did not. And so they swapped back. And that's the kind of thing you need in a team when you're playing the team game, Harry. And they know, both those drivers and the team know that, you know, this setup, they want to run it for a while. Like there's a few seasons in this, mm. this team. And, you know, when there's, you know, you can try those few things. And when there's nothing, you know, to really, that hasn't been gained, swap back, do the fair thing. And then I'm sure at some point, a similar favor will be done um, for Carlos or, or Charles or, or whichever way it needs to go in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, Connor, from a team perspective, the Aston Martin result is just another big split down the middle because Seb's kind of showing, you know, how, how strong the, the car can be in, in regular race pace, mm. though they weren't, you know, challenged by any McLarens in front of them. So perhaps a seventh place for Seb is, you know, over, oversimplifying their performance given the, the uh, grid penalties of Lando and Daniel's first lap incident. But still, yeah. I mean, Seb's, uh, I think he's leading the um, overtakes this year, just showing that you, you can do stuff in that car. Oh, definitely. And look, I think he's doing tremendous things in a car that really isn't that competitive compared to last year when it was known as Racing Point. So, yeah, and he's basically got the upper hand over, over Lance at the moment. And Lance had a pretty bad race, let's face it. He was out of the points regardless of what was going to happen. And secondly, he had that crash in Q1. So he was right behind the eight ball in the end. But Seb is just chipping away. And I think he's just looking forward to 2022. He, he knows that... Say again? I was going to say, saying he's going to be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, listen, if you want to look at it, like tw- this is the fun thing about 2022. We may be disappointed as fans, but also there's a few big balls on the line here like yes. Seb could be disappointed because oh, yeah. Aston Martin doesn't doesn't actually you know have a a car that you know performs as a way a wind tunnel might George Russell could be disappointed because Mercedes might not be the dominant car anymore and he, he you know just has the sliding doors moment at the wrong time where he switches teams who's to say Williams won't dominate in the 2022 car who's this, to say that that Alex Albon, will dominate? 2022 champion <laughs> I mean you know it, it's ludicrous to suggest but it is literally an aerodynamic uh, overhaul, and we've seen just this year how much a single change—you know—the the the change they made in the 2021 regs for aerodynamics sits obviously favoured Red Bull. There's just no no questioning that, and that's good for the sport. Let's be clear, but that's mm. the fun part about 2022 is rolling the dice and not knowing at all what's going to happen. Um, just individual driver-wise, looking at the at the at the the results, um, Harry Pierre Gasly. Oh. I mean. Fourth place, hello, barely got a mention in the coverage. That was, that was driving me insane the whole time. Like, this guy is just driving so well. Like, he, of all the drivers in the grid, he is the one that I would like to see the most as, you know, a chance as a number one driver in, like, in the Red Bull or the, yeah. the Mercedes. But obviously, you know, designed around him, unlike the current Red Bull, which is clearly designed around Max's driving. But yeah, he, he at fourth position, just quietly along the whole time there, inferior car, no mention. Driver of the day goes to Sergio, which, you know, it's a fan vote, it's in Mexico, I get it. But Pierre was the driver of the day. He he shouldn't have been there and he was. No, he, well, he shouldn't have been there and he, and he maintained it. I think that's yeah. the critical thing about having a great qualifying performance like he had. He didn't just qualify well. It's like George doing great and getting into the 10, right? Getting into Q3, well done. But he's always ending up at the back because it's a tough gig, right? But mm. Pierre, time after time, is showing that he can qualify that car well and maintain it. Basically, he's playing the perfect, you know, rear gunner role for Red Bull 
Um, and you know, he he'd have to hope he's got a long career with that with that you know family because he's he's doing exactly that. I mean, Connor, that that's the performance that is disappointing when you look at the way the driver of days voted and things like that, and yeah. the way the TV coverage is created because it was a missed opportunity to show. Obviously, he was a million miles from anyone, right? So he wasn't racing anyone, but still. What needs to happen in, especially when this race was 40 laps of nothing, um, there, there was plenty of opportunity to show a lap or two of Pierre Gasly. Oh, I definitely agree. And he was basically out of view for, for most of the race, unfortunately, but we did get to see him near the end. But I, I was very impressed with how consistent his pace was all throughout. I mean, he, he didn't really challenge that much. But he's just, as you said before, playing the rear gunner to Sergio and to Max right now. That's the role of being in that B team for Red Bull right now is just playing that backstop. And he, he just played it effectively. And I think he was kind of waiting to see what was going to happen if Hamilton and, and Perez clashed because he could have finished on the podium had that happened. It didn't happen that way, but he was just waiting there in the wings. And look, I think he'll get another podium by the end of the season, possibly. But uh, yeah, he, he needs to, at some point, get into a, a, a proper frontline seat. But, you know, there's very few opportunities for that to happen at any time soon. Harry, um, Ted got very excited about this from Pit Lane, and I think it also was pretty fascinating. But again, it would have been nice to see if they were a bit closer, but they weren't. World champions Vettel, Raikkonen, Alonso, mm. seventh, mm. eighth, ninth. And you know, the other thing is that that uh, most overtakes stat, which I've never heard of before, but it's a nice thing they're counting because there's a trophy for it. Apparently, you know, you've got Seb and Alonso really battling out at that because they're showing that. Do you know what they races? That's what they yeah. are. They they can pass people. Um, better, better than anyone in the field. And it was it's cool to see those three, it's hard to say veterans, but that's what they are of the sport, doing, you know, top tier performances. I mean, it's, it's cool to hear about. You don't exactly see it in the coverage yeah. there, despite uh, Ted basically begging for the coverage uh, during his, his little talk there. But yeah, I think it's just, yeah, that, that, that experience, that pure race, like that old school racer, and they're in those midfield cars, so they get plenty of opportunities. And, you know, I just wish... I wish we we actually saw more of those overtakes. I feel like I have not totally. witnessed 104 uh, Sebastian Vettel overtakes across the season on television. Yeah, we and probably need to pick that stat too. Is that just passes? Like statistically, you come yeah. out of the pits over people, or is it on track passes? I I wouldn't mind knowing more about that statistic, but um, that's for another day. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Before we look at the championships, Connor, we need to um, quiz Harry. Um, yes. Oh God. Here we go. Can you just can you just describe to the dear listener how you described this track to us in in the chat? Um, oh, what did I say? I visually said, love it, or visually, yeah, really love this track. What? Yeah, what the hell it's just mean? well, the stadium. That stadium, like because we we haven't been here in a little while. The stadium, I've completely forgot about how yeah. awesome that looks. Like. It's, you know, your traditional grandstands don't go very high, but because it's, you know, an old baseball stadium and built around that, your the grandstands are so tall. And it's just like, it, it feels like that they're sort of driving through like this futuristic, like domey thing that you see on movies. And every shot that they were coming through that stadium section was so cool. Like I, I it visually was, is probably so do, become do one of my favorite it, tracks. What would you... Okay, we've talked about Singapore being a, a favourite of ours in terms of wanting to go yep. to, but if you could not because it's a Monaco because it's special, but just as a spectator, if there was a race to go to, where would you go, Harry? Oh, good question. I mean, I'm going to take away like the historical factor of things like, yeah, like you say, your, your Monacos or spas and things like yeah, that. For the atmosphere, mm. where do you want to yeah, go? Yeah, I would say, 
Um, oh yeah, probably probably Mexico City or the Dutch Grand Prix, like purely because yeah. it's just like that level of passion that we don't have here. Like Australia is just such an apathetic sporting country. Um, so just to be able to be in that that passion that we genuinely don't see here, I think that would be up there in those two tracks. And obviously Singapore, uh-huh. but that, I get, that's the spectacle of the night. What about you? Taking away, well, taking away the traditional historic races, I would like to see Dutch Grand Prix because that was a fantastic atmosphere regardless of the result. But I also would like to go to the US Grand Prix. I'd like to go to Texas because they went absolutely ballistic a couple of weeks ago. Like yeah, That true. crowd was just amazing. And we saw it again tonight, well, this morning with uh, the Mexican crowd. So I would like to go to the Circuit of Americas for the US Grand Prix because I think because the Americans just love their sport regardless. And they do mm. it big. They do it they, really, they, you really know big. What? I, I, part of me, it's I was thinking choice. that all week, and I, I would love to stand in the baseball stadium there at the Mexican Grand Prix because it is... It's just epic. Like, there's 30,000 people. Plus, one of the things they do is they've got this kind of um, on-the-racetrack level drinks and bar kind of tables and chairs area, which must be more exclusive seating, which would be a kind of horrible view, but a freaking amazing atmosphere because you're you're hearing down from the stadium. You probably get first access to the um, podium kind of celebrations. And that's the other thing they do well there is it's like Monza. They bring the podium to the fans. Yeah. It's so well done. And mm. I think that um, Liberty uh, have probably noticed that. And I think they're trying to play that up everywhere they can. And, you know, just the simple things are done well now by Liberty. And that is, you know, did you notice the the top three interviews? It didn't go three, two, one. Uh, it didn't go one, two, three. It went two, one, three, because they had to put Checo last so that he could rev the crowd and have that whole moment of he talked in Spanish. It was Oh, it was just epic to watch. So I, I, I hear what you mean visually. I just, you know, uh, I think the, the, the stadium atmosphere. is probably worth pointing out. The atmosphere of the yeah. stadium is is stunning. I think visually there are better tracks to look I, at. Um, I like what even you, from you the helicopter. About... Like think about Red Bull Ring. Like the helicopter yeah. shots there visually. That that track comes up really well. The that that's the bar down the bottom is so cool to the point where. If I could, you know, if I was going to that race and I had could go literally anywhere to watch it, it's probably mm. the only track where you'd rather be not in the paddock club. Like that's how cool that yeah. that bit is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, spot on. Um, okay, so Connor, um, mm. we need to look at the standings because this, I think, this is. Um, it's obviously the pointy end of the season. There's only four races to go, but it's actually getting pretty epic in a, in a couple of the battles. So let's start with the drivers, the, the drivers world championship. Drivers' Championship sees Max Verstappen clearly ahead of Lewis Hamilton at the moment, 312.5 points to Hamilton's 293.5 points. In terms of third, Valtteri Bottas now has a 20-point lead over Sergio Perez, so there's still plenty to play at in that battle. So Valtteri on 185, Sergio 165, Lando Norris 150 points. The battle for Ferrari, sixth place sees Charles Leclerc, eight points ahead or seven and a half points ahead of Carlos Sainz so 138 to 130 and a half Daniel Ricciardo 105 Pierre Gasly 86 points and Fernando Alonso on 60 points rounding out the top 10. How do we sit on the uh, constructors because this is actually probably getting um to be the 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 tough one it's actually going to be difficult isn't it to 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 Mm. win both Oh, totally. And I think for Mercedes right now, I think that this is the one they're going to lose. I really believe they will lose both titles this year because at the moment, Mercedes leads Red Bull by a single point. They almost were sitting equal 
in terms of the championship before Valtteri Bottas took that point away at the final lap. So Mercedes lead Red Bull by 478.5 points to 477.5 points. That's how close it is. In the battle for third, Ferrari have completely overtaken McLaren, who had that shocking race uh, this morning. Ferrari now lead 268.5 points, 13.5 points clear of McLaren on 255. That is a big haul in points. Alpine now sit in sixth. In fact, they actually sit equal fifth with Alfa Tauri on 106 points. So the battle for fifth in that battle, very, very tight there as well. Then we have Aston Martin on 68, Williams on 23, Alfa Romeo getting a haul points this, this morning with Kimi on 11 points. And of course, Haas still on the bottom with no points uh, recorded so far. Harry, just back to Pierre Gasly for a minute. This mm-hmm. this team has 106 uh, constructed championship points. Um, you know, trying to take on Alpine for, for fifth. Pierre has 86 of those. I mean, I'm surprised that, it's not that, all 106. I don't well, yeah, I mean, I, I look for that reason, but <laughs> in terms of contract negotiations, that bloke has the upper hand any time he, he wants to sit down and talk mm. talk terms, doesn't he? It's just, it's I, phenomenal his, his, what he brings to that team. It's, and even like with that team, if you look outside that team in his situation, I feel like the team that has screwed up the most around him is Alpine. Like locking mm. themselves in to the driver pairing they have yeah. for yeah. like the medium term when you could have got someone uh, to lead the team like Pierre, who's clearly like one of the top guys in the sport. You know, Fernando is amazing. He, but he's, he's past his, he's past his prime. Um, he, he's not going to win you another world championship. I don't think. And mm. then obviously we talk about Oscar not being able to have that, that other seat when he's, probably the most exciting talent in the junior categories right now as well. Um, but yeah, like that, you know, if Pierre didn't want to be in that B team, that Alpine would have made the most sense, but they've just locked themselves into two drivers that are fine, but are not going to win them a championship. Like perhaps Pierre could, if they do the new regs well. You know what I would say if I was Pierre Gasly's manager, I would say to him, you know what, you got to have a real talk and you got to say, listen, your chances of winning a world championship um, in another team are as good as they are here under the new rules, right? We're, we're, mm. you know, we're, we're going to know literally in March how, how good our chances are to ever win a world championship. And if, if you're going to take the punt, then you'd stay there. Like you would, you would sit down with Helmut and say, listen, we're prepared to sign on for three years and be the senior driver to blood whoever the hell you want because this is where we want to be. If, if Red Bull show competitiveness competitiveness next year it's not like they're going to suddenly let someone compete with max guys yeah. max is their their chosen one so in terms of money in terms of uh, stability and longevity in the sport his best hope is actually just to sign with alpha towery for as long as they will possibly have him and screw them for as much, as long as you can get out of them because he is the power of that team no matter what their young young program looks like they always need seniority to come through with those young people and i think that's what he can that's the role he could play uh, but he's never maybe gonna win a championship in that team like if that's no. what he wants but as if i mean is he ever going to win a championship outside of that team either i mean i don't he, think he don't think so i think he not now he having as a unless, unless he changed ability. now for 2022 into a car that freakishly became a championship winning car his best hope is with this team and it becomes championship winning car which it won't be next year I'm just saying that at some point you've got to decide as a driver. And I think Daniel's at this point where he goes, you know what? I'm just going to stay with McLaren till the end of my career because if their 2022 car is rock solid, I will fight Lando 
to to the death to to get that championship, right? But otherwise, I'm really happy here, and it's a great team. It's a great car. I can drive for as long as I want, and you know we'll do as best we can. Like I don't know. I just feel like that chase for a world championship yeah. is yeah blinded sometimes. Look, I, I think just, sometimes. So, sorry, you know, they're, sorry. They're, they're, They've got a competitive nature that that we clearly don't, right? Like that they, they want to win the championship. <laughs> it's very true. Like, it's very true. They're not they're not there to just, you know, unless you're a Nikita Mazepin, you're not there just to be able to say you're in Formula One. Like I think someone like Pierre Gasly, like he's the dream is the championship. Um, I don't know if he steps there, but I certainly know that as long as Alpha Tower is connected to Red Bull, it's not going to be in that team. Yeah. Um, well, Connor, Connor, yeah. do you reckon uh, if there was a lie detector test? And Nikita Mazepin was asked, do you, do you think you can win a Formula One championship? Do you think he really believes that? No. <laughs> I I mean, he, he might think it is that that he can still you know, go up the ranks and get himself a, a, a top gun drive. The way he's been driving this year in his debut year, there's no way in hell you would give him a, a top line drive in a top line team. Yeah. He's there basically to make the numbers up. And, and actually, and I, got, I was given an interesting statistic by a colleague of mine uh, over uh, WhatsApp with the three paid drivers in Mazepin, Latifi, and Stroll, they have a combined kitty of $6.1 billion. That's just like... It's in their dad's ma- Exactly. It's just staggering that, you know, of those three drivers, they all can afford themselves a seat in Formula 1, and yet they can't work themselves up the ranks to get a top-line seat. It just spe- it speaks a lot. It speaks volumes. But what I was going to say with Daniel Ricciardo before is... You know, he looks really happy now at McLaren. The fact that he's now back on par with Lando and he's showing some really good pace. In fact, if anything, I think Daniel has actually got the upper hand over Lando in the second half of the season. Okay, this morning wasn't a great outcome for him, but his pace over Lando right now is probably the best I've seen Dan you yep. know, in, in in the entire seasons that he's done Formula 1 outside of Red Bull. He's really shown some really good pace. All right. Well, it was um, it was not a bad race overall because it was exciting at the end there to see Checo push hard. It was great to see him on the podium. Oh, um, definitely. I didn't mind seeing Max win because I really want this championship to go down to the wire, and it and I genuinely think it will. Um, we've got a, a pretty solid um, schedule ahead of us. Um, we have My favorite uh, track Brazil. Oh, you love Interlagos. Interlagos. Yeah. Oh, Interlagos next week. Yeah. So another we've got early the... morning. Yep. We got us. We got qualifying next Saturday morning, six a.m. Then we got the third sprint of the season at six thirty on Sunday morning, and then the race at four a.m. on Monday morning. So it's, that's going to be. I actually the sprint. I think that's going to be a pretty good, a pretty good run. I think we know the first two sprints were a bit, yeah, so so so. But hopefully this third sprint really shakes up the grid a bit. Well, they need to be committed to this grid going forward. Yeah, I think it's got it's got potential for first lap stuff. It's got potential for weather. You know, there's a lot of good stuff that can happen in Brazil. Um, and then back-to-back weekends, straight over to Qatar. Um, and then early December, um, we've got Saudi Arabia, then uh, Abu Dhabi, final race on the 12th. It's, uh, it's all ahead of us, boys. Four more races to go and a championship still to be decided, which is the first time we've had that in some time, you've got to argue. So that's not a bad thing for the sport. Um, we'll do it again next next week, thanks to KO Sports, and we hope you log on and watch with us. Boys, uh, talk to you after the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. See ya. See you then.